This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcast. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Pee-wee Gaskins recorded several conversations he had with Tony Simo about his unsuccessful attempts to fatally poison Rudolf Tyner. Tony provided Pee-wee with strychnine and oleander, but it just made Tyner sick as a dog. He was on borrowed time and running out of appeals. But Tony Simo and Pee Wee Gaskins would not wait for the courts to work out the legal issues. They were going to execute Tyner before the state of South Carolina ever got to him. When Pee Wee murdered Tyner, I stopped. I didn't do anything else. I thought that I was going to be accused as an accomplice to a murder that Pee Wee had committed. A little bit of dread, a little bit of horror. Oh my gosh, how could that have happened? And I froze. I was devastated. What have I done? From iHeartRadio and Doghouse Pictures, this is Pee Wee Gaskins Was Not My Friend. I'm Jeff Keating. Earlier, he had asked me to deliver the radio to his son, which I did. Not on time, but I did. One day that we walked in, at the close of the visit, he said, I want to ask you a favor. He said, could you mail me a package? And I said, what? He said, I need 50 feet of TV wire. You can go to any hardware store and buy it, but I need 50 feet. He says, we have an antenna on the top of the building. He said, if I can wire the TV to that antenna, 50 people can watch Sunday football. Wrap it up in an envelope and mail it to me here. They will examine it and give it to me. I said, you really think they'll let me do that? He said, oh, we do it all the time. People send me things all the time. So Jim went to the hardware store, bought the wire, and mailed it to CCI. Unbeknownst to Jim, it would help Pee-wee complete his murderous plan. I had no idea that Pee-wee was going to use it for anything other than what he said, and that was to connect to an antenna that would enable 50 people to watch television. And I thought, if I can take this cable so that people can watch Sunday football the same way I do. Little did I know. Jim Beatty knew as much as anyone could about South Carolina's most notorious mass murderer. And he was hopeful his book, Pee Wee and Me, would be a full account of the meanest man in America. He was writing a novel that aimed towards redemption. It wasn't going to be like In Cold Blood, a book Jim taught on occasion. 
That was too sordid for Jim's storytelling approach. Jim was optimistic that he could share some characteristics of Pee Wee that people often didn't see, like honesty and compassion. But in reality, Pee Wee rarely showed these traits. In fact, Pee Wee told him as much during their interviews together. I said, Pee Wee, would you ever lie to me? Thinking, you know, we're old buddies, we're old friends. He's not going to lie to me. He doesn't need to lie to me. And he thought for a second, and he looked right at me and said, yes, I would. I said, Pee Wee, you would lie to me? When? He said, without hesitating, half the time. He said, without hesitating, half the time. It had started in their first interview when Pee Wee said, Look, I want to set the record straight on some things. There have been so many things out there that have been said about me that are wrong. I want you to know what they are and to make those things right. He said, without hesitating, half the time. I also think that he had respect for me and was somewhat kind to me. Half the time. He said, if I can wire the TV to that antenna, 50 people can watch Sunday football. Half the time. Pee Wee had a fellow prisoner named James Brown deliver the plastic cup device to Tyner's cell with instruction that he was to plug it into the wire Pee-wee had connected from his cell. Tyner yelled into the vent towards Pee-wee's cell when he plugged it in. Then Pee-wee told him to hold it up to his ear, and then he plugged his end into the 110 socket, and it went off. Then Pee-wee pulled the wire back through, chopped it up, and witnesses say that he was laying on his bed saying, what was that? The explosion rocked the prison and caused a chaotic mess. While Tyner was dying in his cell of rubble, inmates yelled questions through their prison bars. Guards ran around assessing the scene, and Pee-wee Gaskins laid there smiling on his cot. Holly Gatling covered the Gaskins story from the start and was the first to speak to Pee-wee after the bomb exploded. I got a tip that there had been an explosion at CCI, and I had his number, and I called him. And I said, what's going on? And he said, I need to call you back on a different phone. And he did. He called me right back. And then he said, you know, some bomb went off. And he said, next thing you know, they'll be saying I did it. They're probably going to accuse me of doing it. And I thought that was a mighty strange thing to say. Half the time. Initially, when the report came in from law enforcement, there was a opinion that Tyner had made a bomb out of match heads. I mean, it was trying to blow his way out of his death row cell. Uh, But quickly, the forensics folks, I think from the FBI, found it was a C4 plastic explosive. And that's when the scrutiny and the real investigation began. Investigators considered Tyner had committed suicide since he'd been sick several times recently, often looking ashen and gaunt. Even the guards had noticed it. It's possible that by taking his own life, he would avoid the electric chair. But the way he died was so extreme that the focus quickly turned to homicide. He lived for a little while, but it was a traumatic injury. They determined that somebody had murdered Tyner because they found a shrapnel, including a speaker embedded in his head. His hand had been blown off as if he was holding something in his hand up to his head uh, at the time it went off. It was C4 explosive was found and shrapnel. I'm talking about nuts and bolts and nails were found all over his body in his cell. The pictures are horrendous.
So at that point, a homicide investigation began, and a guy named Al Waters, who was an investigator for the Department of Corrections, heard what he thought was a solid rumor that Pee Wee had been involved. Al Waters was the lead investigator and would later testify at the trial. He was joined by SLED investigator Tom Henderson, who had a history with Gaskins in the prospect murders that landed Gaskins in jail for life. To start... Al Waters had Pee Wee's cell searched, and they found all the tools necessary to assemble a bomb. A soldering iron used to attach a wire to plugs, and plenty of nuts, bolts, and screws to create shrapnel. He had melted a hole in the bottom of this cup and put a female plug in it. That plug was attached to a blasting cap. And surrounding that blasting cap was C4 explosive, which was surrounded by nuts, bolts, screws, any sharp piece of metal. And glued on the top was a speaker, like you'd get out of a radio. They also found a telephone jack, razor blades, marijuana, electrical cords, and damningly, 38 audio cassettes. Recorded audio from television programs. Recorded calls he made from the nearby prison payphone. He recorded his family. Most importantly, he recorded his conversations with Tony Simo, the man who hired him to kill Rudolf Tyner with C4, a cup, and a wire. I found out from the local newspaper, and I was petrified. I realized I mailed him the wire that he used to murder Rudolf Tyner, and I froze. I was devastated for my own safety and my wife's safety and our family's safety. What have I done? Strangely enough, I did not speak with anybody about that dilemma or that fear, except Anita. I didn't go to any kind of law enforcement And I realized, what does this do with my interviews? What does this do with our books? I didn't think about it around the Tyner murder until Jim was visited by SLED, but that visit came hard on the heels of Tyner's murder. And I immediately found out that I would never be able to see Pee Wee again because of what he had done. It was Sunday, September 12, 1982, when the bomb exploded into Tyner's head. Like the rest of the outside world, Jim Beatty learned about the story the next day in the newspaper. He was shocked. He and Anita talked about what to do. They decided to do nothing, but they did pray on it. I felt some peace knowing that I was totally innocent. But then, a while later, Jim Beatty was teaching a class, an English class at Coastal Carolina University. The doors of the classrooms have uh, slender, tiny windows. And I noticed as I was ending my lecture, I think it was on Shakespeare, and I noticed these two well-dressed, three-piece suit gentlemen outside in the hall. Quite frankly, I thought they were preachers of some sort or maybe used car salesmen, I couldn't figure. As the class is dismissed, the men come in, and one of them I knew that I'd seen before, and he flashed his badge inside his coat and said, Hello, Dr. Beatty. I'm Tom Henderson. And I remembered Special Agent Tom Henderson of SLED. He said, You got a few minutes? We'd like to talk with you. Well, again, like Pee-wee's call, I turned a wider shade of pale. And he said, can we go to your office? And we did. Jim's heart was racing. His hands were sweating. All those what-ifs he and Anita questioned during their late-night talks flashed in his mind as he led the authorities to his university office. And I had only one chair in my tiny office in addition to my chair. And I offered it to Tom, and he said, no, I'll stand. 
the other gentleman sat. I sat in my chair, and Henderson said, Professor, did you have occasion to mail a TV cable to Pee Wee Gaskins a month before he murdered Rudolph Tyner? I did. He said, did you know that Pee Wee used that to murder Tyner? I said, I did not know that. He said, well, that is what he used, the wire that you mailed him to murder Rudolph Tyner. He didn't say anything else. I didn't say anything else. There must have been silence for 15 seconds that was 15 hours to me. And he said, can I sit down and, and let's talk? So his gentleman stood up. He then sat down and spoke with me. He said, you know, the trial is set. You know when it will be, and you will be subpoenaed. And I said, well, who will subpoena me? Will the defense subpoena me? Will the prosecution subpoena me? He said, we're not sure, but you will probably be subpoenaed. And the gentleman left. I walked out of the office door with them, and Tom Henderson and his partner moved down the hall for a few steps, and I watched every step, every movement of each foot on the carpet leaving, praying that they would be gone forever. And as they stopped, Henderson turned and smiled and said, By the way, I said, Yes. He said, I'd love to take one of your English classes. See you later. I walked back into the office and called Anita. Then I was really scared because it wasn't clear to me whether he'd be called as an accomplice or to go testify. I thought that he was going to tell me that I was going to be accused as an accomplice to a murder that Pee Wee had committed. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Tyner was killed September 12, 1982. In March of 1983, it took a month to seat a jury of eight women and four men for Pee Wee's murder trial. It was very difficult to get a jury because, you know, the question, you ever heard about uh, Donald Pee Wee Gassett? Yeah, what do you know about him? Largest mass murder in the history of the state. Well, 
could you put that aside and, you know, base your verdict on the evidence in this case? And a lot of people were very honest and said no. So it took us several hundred jurors to get 12. The one guy said, could you consider giving him life or would you give him the electric chair? Because that's what we, we used back then. And uh, this guy said, no, 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 I wouldn't give him the electric chair. And I thought, well, this is one we can maybe, maybe use. He said, no, I'd hang him. I mean, that's how that went. So I don't remember 300 and something people we went through before we got, I think we had 14, with 12 and two alternates. With the jury selected, the trial began. Prosecution was confident in their case. They had a trove of evidence. And they had James Brown, a star witness who delivered the explosive to Tyner. As usual, Gaskins didn't fail to deliver spectacle at his trial. I think he was a self-promoter. I think he had hold over a lot of people because their feeble minds didn't understand that he was lying, that he was bigger than his five feet would show. And I think at the end of the day, this plan, this ridiculous plan to blow up a guy on death row, I mean, that's what ends up killing him. I mean, it's sort of poetic justice. This is an outsized crime by a little man. You know, this guy was thinking all the time. He was crafty. I wouldn't say he was a brilliant, but he was a very crafty guy. He was always working the angles. And he would have gotten away with it, but for those recordings. We've never had any evidence. If we hadn't had the recordings, we wouldn't have gotten James Brown. Even if we had James Brown, it'd be his word against Pee Wee's. James Brown was on death row for a double murder. So his word alone was suspect, even compared to Pee Wee's. James Brown killed two women and had sex with them after they were dead. When I met him, he looked like Robinson Crusoe. He had hair down to his waist, uh, a beard down to his waist. He looked disheveled, scraggly. And I needed to get him prepared to testify. So I'd bring him up to the courthouse every Saturday, get him some McDonald's, which they couldn't get in the prison. Went over his testimony with him, got him to cut his hair, got him to shave his beard, got him a three-piece suit, regimental tie. He looked like a million dollars. So I put James on the stand. He knocks it out of the park. James Brown testified that Pee Wee had him take the plastic cup to Tyner's cell. The cup was filled with nails, screws, and metal. Brown said that right after the explosion, he went to Gaskin's cell and saw Gaskins pulling a wire from the bottom vent in his cell. A few moments later, he heard Gaskins' toilet flush. Gaskins came out of his cell and went downstairs. He may have been on his way to talk to Holly Gatling at that moment. That's unclear. But, prosecution was able to link Gaskins to a conspiracy to cover up the murder with James Brown's assistance and the hard evidence gathered in Wee's cell. One of the things we confiscated during this trial was a letter from Gaskins to James Brown. He instructed James Brown to go to the Catholic priest and confess he killed Tyner. Okay? And Gaskins, in the letter, reasons, we put this evidence, this letter into evidence, reasons that if you tell him you did it, my lawyer's can call him to the stand, and he'll have to say that somebody else confessed to him, but he can't say who it was. I mean, guy, the guy was him. He worked every angle. Of course, James Brown gave us the letter, so that sort of ruined that plan. Jack Swirling was Gaskin's defense attorney, and his only tactic was going for reasonable doubt, convincing the jury that it wasn't Pee Wee who made the bomb. Swirling attacked James Brown while he was on the stand, so Harputlian had to cross-examine to counter Swirling's move. Jack did a pretty good job of trying to instill doubt. I mean, reasonable doubt was the only defense in the case, and that is to attack James Brown to challenge his credibility. James's mother was sitting in the courtroom, nervously watching her son testify against Pee Wee. So Jack Swirling, who's defending Pee-wee, begins to attack him for not really being Pee-wee's friend, a Pee-wee wannabe. And so when I got back up and I said, James, Mr. Swirling has intimated that you were not friends with Pee-wee, that you're Pee-wee wannabe. Is that true? No. I said, now, what was your real relationship with Pee-wee? 
and I'll never forget his eyes bugged wide open. He looked at me, he looked back at his mom, and he says uh, very quietly, we were lovers. I said, what? I can't hear you. I can't hear you, James. He said, we were lovers. And the courtroom explodes in pandemonium. Swirling explodes out of his chair and starts lumbering towards the bench, screaming, objection, objection. Kiwi, who's barely, I don't think he was five feet, probably didn't weigh 130 pounds, is grabbing onto Jack's coattail and sort of being drug along with him, screaming. And then Pee Wee yells at Jack in this high-pitched voice, Jack, Jack, ask him who was on top. Jim only hoped he would write a courtroom scene as bold as Shakespeare's Winter's Tale or To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. Only those heavyweights could fashion such a picture with words. And now Pee-wee's words would be used against him when the prosecution played the recordings between Simo and Gaskins. Pee-wee's recordings with Simo were devastating. Devastating. We have Pee-wee planning it, talking to Simo about what he needed, how he was going to put it in a radio, he said. It didn't turn out to be a radio. He came up with a more devious device. The forensics were that he was holding a device made of a plastic cup the unbreakable plastic cup, and that speaker and other debris, uh, shrapnel, if you will, entered his head and body. It was C4 explosive. It was consistent with what James Brown testified he got from Kiwi and delivered, which was consistent with the recorded conversation. So was it a tough case? No. And we had the recordings from Kiwi. And by the way, he had 10 prior murder convictions. I mean, this was not, not heavy lifting. It took eight weeks, but It was not the toughest case I ever prosecuted by a long shot. Hard physical evidence, testimony from an eyewitness accomplice, courtroom drama, sex between inmates. The whole Pee Wee Gaskins saga had all the makings of a legal thriller. And the courtroom didn't have to wait long for the verdict. As a practical matter, Pee Wee probably could not have been prosecuted under the new death penalty law for crimes committed prior to that going into effect. He probably never could have gotten death again. The Tyner case was the only way he could get the death penalty. The jury was out an hour before they found him guilty, and they were out an hour when they acted to send some death. I don't think they wrestled with either decision. When Jim Beatty led investigators out of his office and off the university campus, he hoped that he would never see those guys again. He sweated, fretted, wished, and worried that he was never called to testify. And his prayer was answered. He didn't even go to the trial. He was never approached again by authorities and was never charged with anything. Investigators knew he had been an unwitting accomplice to the murder. Here's Dick Harputlian in 2021, being told about the wire Jim Beatty mailed to Pee Wee in prison. I've always assumed because he had wire cutters and pliers and you name the tool, and there was plenty of wire around where the cell block was. I just assumed he got it from somebody there. I never knew about Jim or the wire. Um, No one ever reported that to me. Jim and Anita slowly let go of their fears and anxieties, but others were charged for their role in the assassination. Jack Martin, a friend of SEMO from Murals Inlet, got SEMO in touch with Gerald McCormick inside CCI and he served 18 months for intimidation of a witness. Gerald Pop McCormick still had 26 years left of his 30-year sentence for housebreaking, grand larceny, and burglary. He received a five-year sentence concurrent with his existing one. James Brown was transferred to a Tennessee prison as part of his deal with prosecutors. Of all the people involved in this bizarre case, only Pee Wee Gaskins went to trial. Tony Simo still awaited his fate. It seems most everyone was sympathetic to the moon's grieving son. He seemed like the most normal, all-American guy in the world. Just um, had this obsession with avenging the death of his parents. You know, a jury, I think, would have a hard time getting a unanimous verdict to convict him of anything serious because all he did was what we were trying to do 
and that was execute Tyner. And of course, some folks, a number of folks looked at his conduct as a twofer. Not only did we get Tyner, we got Gaskins. The question is, would you get 12 jurors to convict Tony Simo of something that would result in a lengthy prison sentence for him for getting Pee Wee Gaskins to basically do what, not basically, he executed a guy on death row. Now, there is the argument that he put officers' lives in danger in the, getting C4 into the Department of Corrections and giving it to a homicidal maniac like Pee Wee. You don't know what he's going to do with it. And we just felt we talked. I mean, we I talked to a number of people whose judgment I trusted about how the community would treat him. And clearly, we didn't want to spend several weeks trying him on a very serious charge and end up in a hung jury. Tony Simo pled guilty to misprision, making a bomb threat, and conspiracy to commit murder. His wife, two daughters, plus 30 or so family and friends were at the sentencing when the judge said, quote, To deter others from like behavior, I'm going to incarcerate you. I know that you and your family have gone through a lot and will continue to, but we can't have people taking the law into their own hands and exacting punishment. End quote. He received concurrent sentences of eight years. The community had a barbecue and raffle and raised $3,000 to offset Simo's 13000 in legal fees. He served only six months and was released to a halfway house for the remainder of his sentence. He was contrite. He was ashamed. All the kinds of real emotions you expect out of a very normal person. But at the same time, I think he was relieved that Tyner was dead. One local resident told the Associated Press, quote, A man could only stand so much. I'd have done the same thing as Tony if I could have. End quote. Ira Parnell puts it this way. I can't really blame Tony. People get distraught over things. I might be tempted to do the same thing. I don't know. But that would just be a bad spot to be in. But thankfully he didn't draw much time from it. I think everybody else thought the same way. It was a sad story, and in 1985, two years after the trial, a TV movie called Vengeance, the story of Tony Simo, began production with a $2 million budget. To Simo's dismay, South Carolina did not allow criminals to profit from their crimes with movie, TV, or book deals. Therefore, his $15,000 payoff was given to Rudolph Tyner's family. Simo's life after the murder was hardly idyllic. Problems with drug use and perhaps a haunting sense of dread plagued him until 2001 when he suffered a fatal drug overdose. A newspaper in Orangeburg, South Carolina, called The Times and Democrat, printed a statement from his two daughters who were then in their 20s. No one will know what was in his mind Sunday night, but we believe in his heart, he did not see a positive future. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world.
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Jim Beatty had been working feverishly on his book before Pee-wee's bomb killed Tyner and blew up Jim's dreams. Well, what happens? I mail him a wire to the prison, and he blows a fellow inmate's head off with it. So, so much for my hope of redemption. My prayer was that through what I wrote and what I had studied and what I thought I had learned, is that one child, one child would have been spared from ever becoming another Pee Wee Gaskins. Rather than hold this individual up as a monster, period, hold him up as a monster and see why and how we could do otherwise with the four-year-old little boy. I'd already finished the book, but I was editing and working a good bit, writing a good bit. But when it fell, when the project fell, I stopped it. When Pee Wee murdered Tyner, I literally dropped my pen. I stopped. I didn't do anything else. There's no book. There's no hope for a story ever being told. I was really frightened for Jim because an accomplice to murder, my God, he really was an unwitting accomplice, which I thought when I had my wits about me would keep him from being charged because he was so innocent. Only now do I see the connection between Jim's forgetting to take the radio to Donnie Jr. and maybe Pee Wee's conscious setting Jim up in that last Interaction, exchange, I don't know. But, I mean, that's the kind of thing Pee-wee might have done because he did set people up, and he did take a while to get his revenge if you disobeyed him. So that might be a little bit extreme. I think he really had affection for Jim, but who knows? In the rubble of Jim's relationship with Pee-wee, the Beatties wondered if it had all gone sour when Jim failed to promptly deliver the radio. Pee-wee was definitely upset by that. There was not one time, with the exception of when I knew Pee-wee was angry with me, that I did not happily walk into that place to see him. I was looking forward. It, it was like going into a class to teach that I was ready. and I could not wait to get from him what I was going to get about life and living and those things. I think my guard was always down. I don't have much of a guard on anything. I was certainly duped by Pee Wee and being pulled in as an accomplice. Absolutely I was. I thought I was doing a good deed. I think that I became one more piece of the puzzle that Pee Wee used every opportunity that he had. All of us in the family lived that story with Jim. There were nights when he'd come home, and we couldn't wait to hear what happened and hear the stories. But also, it got you in the pit of your stomach. I can remember now. I can even feel it. A little bit of dread, a little bit of horror, a little bit of, oh, my gosh, how could that have happened? How could that be, and how could he have done this, and how could he still be around, and how could... My children be answering the phone on Sunday and talking to this guy. But also how fascinating he was and how Jim cared about 
what made him the way he was. I do still carry that today. Whether or not the radio incident set Jim's fate will forever remain a mystery, as with so much in this story. But for Jim, the whole of the saga was worth studying, worth researching, and worth telling. My mentality going in as far as writing this true life novel was that I was equipped to do that, although I had not tried it before. But I had taught some true life novels, and I felt that the Pee Wee Gaskins saga, or the story itself, needed to be told. I could never get away from the necessity of that being done for social reasons. There was something there around this situation that I think the world needed to be told because the world needed to correct it. And I was in that world. I became more and more confident that the task was necessary. And when he murdered Rudolf Tyner, it squashed my project, which of course was my selfish concern. I was disillusioned. I didn't think there was any good in Pee Wee. I realized that I could not portray this man with any form of redemption, none whatsoever. I completely gave up on the possibility of uh, my being a writer. Jim found out that he was no more of a friend of Pee Wee Gaskins than any of his dead victims. And in 1983, Pee Wee found himself on death row again. Even from there, he was still able to play games with people and implicate them in his brazen schemes. Death penalty appeals are standard legal maneuvers for most convicts. In South Carolina, death sentences are automatically appealed. Through the 1980s, Pee Wee's defense team, led by Jack Swirling, filed five different appeals with dozens of various charges in each. Each appeal was denied, and Pee-wee sat on death row. Sometime after the Rudolph Tyner murder, Dick Harputlian joined up with Jack Swirling and started a law firm. They practiced together for years. Pee-wee was no longer in their legal lives. But one day, Dick was reminded of Pee-wee's incredible audacity. I'm playing golf. And I get a call from Chief Stewart, Chief of Sweat, and said, where are you? And I said, I'm playing golf. He said, and where's your daughter? And I did not like the sound of that. He said, we think there's a plot maybe to kidnap her. We'll send sweat agents there. And she was at home. So by the time I got home, we had sweat agents there. The story came out that Pee Wee had met with his son, little Donnie, and that Donnie had gone to a friend of his and said, his dad said, to kidnap the solicitor's daughter or the, the governor's son, and that he intended on kidnapping the solicitor's daughter, who was four years old, and he needed this young man to help him do it. And he told the young man that his dad, he asked his dad, what if he won't, if I kidnap her and he won't do what you want him to do, what do I do? And he said, well, he said, keep her in a trunk, and if he won't do it, kill her. What he was supposed to do was tell me to have Pee Wee brought up to my office in the courthouse. And this is the chilling part. Pee Wee knew somehow that I had a back door to my office, that if I told the sled agents to bring him into my office and leave, they didn't know the door was there. They would leave and he could just go out the back door. I mean, I don't know how he, nobody knew that. So uh, the kid went, his son went and talked to another kid, that that kid immediately went to Sheriff Barnes, thank God. And so they locked there. She was fine. My wife was fine. And they had warrants out for Donnie for car theft or something. So they arrested him and took him into custody. Brenda Chase was a new reporter for the Florence Morning News when Donnie Gaskins was detained in the Florence County Sheriff's Office. 
It was just my second job out of college covering cops and courts and all things related to law enforcement. We had some friends over at the Sheriff's Office One who gave me a call and said, you're never going to believe this, but we actually have Pee Wee Gaskin's son in the county jail right now. His name is Donnie, and we've got him on a 48-hour hold, and he wants to speak to the media. Would you like to come over here and talk with him? And I was like, absolutely. I thought I had arrived at the big time, and I had only been there for a few months, and I just thought, man, this is cool. I'm getting the biggest scoop of the decade. And fortunately, the Florence newspaper was very, very close to the county jail. And so I ran across the street, and they brought him in, and he was so young-looking. I believe Donnie was 20, not much younger than myself at that time. He had never really had any time at all with his dad because his dad had pretty much been in jail his whole life. And it was so interesting talking to him because it was almost like there was this connection to Pee Wee Gaskins through Donnie, but very little time had he ever spent with his dad. So he just talked about how he didn't believe all these stories about his dad and his dad could not have done this. And then he was, of course, proclaiming his innocence, that he was not doing any of the things that they said he was going to do. And so it was just a very odd conversation. And it was through the plexiglass at the county jail. And it was kind of bizarre that this young, young man with absolutely no idea of how secure his dad was being held really thought, well, we could get him out of jail. And then he would say a few things that kind of led you to believe that he really was trying. And then he would, of course, remember, oh, wait, I can't say that because I'm, like, not going to be guilty of this. So it, it was kind of an odd conversation. You know, I did feel a little bit sorry for Donnie. I don't know that he ever had much of a chance. You know, when you're growing up in that PD area of South Carolina, everyone knew who Pee Wee Gaskins was. So everyone knew who his father was if he ever told them. And I just don't think he stood much of a chance coming into that local community with that last name and that as a father. I don't think he had any kind of a chance growing up. So the cops held Donnie Gaskins for two days, but the fear lasted longer for Dick Harputlian. For the next two weeks, we lived with sweat agents around our house and outside our house. My daughter was in preschool, and when she went to preschool, they had sweat agents around there. I don't think the other parents appreciated it much, but actually we stopped taking her over there after a couple of days because it was just too much for them to have put their children at risk. So we live for a couple of weeks, get up in the morning, the sweat agents in the living room and around the house, out in the yard, you'll go to bed at night. That's the last thing you see. It led me to the conclusion I never want to live with Secret Service protection or anything like that. It is so obtrusive and it affects your mentality about the world at large. There's, In other words, you look at the rest of the world as threatening. Threatening. The reason Pee Wee Gaskins was not your friend is there's always a gun or knife's edge threatening at your doorstep or your office or your daughter's preschool. Even though Dick Harputlian was one of South Carolina's most well-known prosecutors, he was still tinged by Pee Wee's reach. The fear was real. And his friend and law partner Jack Swirling had his own scare. Several years after Harputlian's kidnap shock, Swirling felt the wrath of a former client. On June 27, 2002, Swirling, his wife and daughter, returned home from an out-of-town trip. As they were eating hamburgers, two armed gunmen barged into their house and bound the family with duct tape. After ransacking the place... One of the masked assailants jammed a gun into Jack's neck and demanded to be told where the money in the house was. Swirling said he didn't have any at home. The man knew Swirling's name, which added a level of amazement to the whole ordeal. He yelled at Jack, I'm going to give you one more chance. Where's the money or I will kill you? Luckily, after they rummaged through the entire house, the men left without killing anyone. Soon after, James Causey was arrested 
and charged with numerous crimes, including kidnapping, armed robbery, and burglary. It turns out that Swirling defended Causey in two different trials. He got him a reduced sentence in each case, but apparently, Causey still held a grudge that he had to go to jail at all. He is still serving life without parole. Jack Swirling lives with the memory of his family bound and held at gunpoint in their own home. Dick Carputlian lives with the memory of Gaskin's kidnapping plot. Does Jim Beatty worry about his own involvement in Pee Wee Gaskin's last murder? Of course I worried about it. I worried about that now. Pee Wee Gaskins was not my friend is a joint production from iHeartRadio and Doghouse Pictures. Produced and hosted by Jeff Keating. Executive producers are Courtney DeFries and Noel Brown. Written by Jim Roberts, Courtney DeFries, and Terry James. Edit, mix, and sound design by Jeremiah Kulani Prescott. Music composed by Diamond Street Productions, Spencer Garn, and Ian Newberry. Special thanks to Jim and Anita Beatty. Additional thanks to the University of South Carolina Moving Image Research Collections and the University of South Carolina. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.